children to remember there is something that has been prepared for you by our children's ministry team. And good morning to everybody. And uh, if you are visiting with us today, my name is John, and uh, I am one of the pastors uh, here at, at Connect Church. I think you will agree with me when I say that uh, South Africa is a very divided nation. But I've discovered over the last while there is something that unites us together. And what unites us together is we want change. Would you agree with that? We want change. We want change in the political arena. We want politicians who are going to serve. We want to have people leading our nation who are people of integrity, that people are not there for themselves, they are there for others. That's one of the changes we want to see. We want to see a change when it comes to crime in, our South, Af- in South Africa. Wouldn't you like to see crime eradicated? or significantly lower than what it is? Wouldn't you like to see great service delivery that's happening in communities where instead of people up in arms all the time, they're saying, wow, this has been amazing, this has been wonderful. We want to see gender-based violence be trounced. We want to see xenophobia done away with in our nation. Would you agree? We want to see those things. Now, here's what I want to share with you this morning. The only hope we have for those things is in God moving afresh in this nation. Please don't hope for a political solution because it's not the answer. Don't hope that a change in the economy of South Africa is the answer. It's great to have it, but it's not the answer. What South Africa needs at the moment is a new outpouring of the Spirit of God. What our country needs is a move of God as we have not seen for a long time, which is why I want to speak on this topic this morning. It can happen again. It can happen again. On the 17th of July in 1859, there was a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon, those of you who were alive at the time will remember him. And he preached a very interesting sermon entitled, The Story of God's Mighty Acts. And this is what he said when he preached that sermon. When people hear about what God used to do, one of the things they say is, oh, that was a very long time ago. His response to that, I thought it was God who did it. Has God changed? Is He not an immutable God, the same yesterday, today, and forever? Does that not furnish an argument to prove that what God has done at one time, He can do at another? Nay, I might push it a little further and say, what He has done is a prophecy of what He intends to do again. Whatever God has done is to be looked upon as a precedent. 
let us with earnestness seek that God would restore to us the faith of men of old, that we may richly enjoy His grace as in days of old. And it's in this spirit that Paul responds to a vision to minister in a place called Macedonia. Today we know it modern-day Greece. Even in places where there was persecution and where there was opposition. And even though he'd been very badly treated in Philippi, that was his first port of call when he went to Macedonia, even though he was so badly treated there, he still goes on to teach and preach in Thessalonica, because he believed that what had happened in his ministry and throughout his ministry would continue to happen in that city as well. At a time like this in South Africa, we need to be people who still believe that God will do it again, that God will do what he's done in the past all over again. The records that we have of what God has done in places like Thessalonica, he will do again in our day. And when Paul goes to Thessalonica, there's an expectation. God will do what he's done all over again. So let's read what he wrote so many years ago and say, Lord, will you do it again? You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God's our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you'd become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen. The same thing those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men 
in their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. What happens in Thessalonica as Paul goes to Thessalonica, as he goes there to preach the gospel, as he goes there to minister, is the result of a God-given boldness that he has to go there. That, that's what we read about in verse 2. He said, we were able to be courageous. And you'll notice I've, I've, I've reworked that. If you're reading in the NIV, I've changed the wording because that's the sense of his wording. That's the, the better way of, of, of of, of explaining it. We were able to be courageous and tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. And there's something that you and I must not forget. We cannot rely on ourselves. We must not rely on ourselves. We must not rely on our boldness. We must not even rely on our ability to minister to other people. It's what Paul speaks about when he speaks of his ministry to the Corinthian believers and the Corinthian church. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. This is, this is what he chose. This is the way he did it. For I resolved, I made up my mind to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And the boldness that, he, that he's describing over here as he goes to Thessalonica is the result of somebody who totally relies on God. In fact, I want to say to you as a church this morning, very little will happen unless there's a move of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that when the first persecution began to surface in the early church, the people who were most familiar with the power of God and the enabling of the Holy Spirit are the very ones who pray, More Lord! What's tragic for me is as we are further and further away from Pentecost, the fewer times I'm hearing the cry, More Lord! Friends, you would think if you're in touch with the Spirit, we would be crying out for a move of the Spirit of God in our day. Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And the place in which they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to be witnesses of what God has said and done to our generation. It's got to be with an expectation that God will do it again. What motivates Paul to go to the city of Thessalonica is his desire to please God in his ministry. His goal was to please God. 
pleasing God was even more important than what people would say or the way in which people would treat him. Listen, listen to this. On the contrary, look at verse 4. We speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. Friends, this is something every single person here has to work through. I have to work through it, and you have to work through it. Deep down, we all want the affirmation of people. We all want it. Deep down, we all desire the praise of people. Nobody wants to be rejected. Paul was not trying to gain the approval of people. He wasn't trying to trick them in his ministry. That's what he's talking about over here. He was not trying to get famous and get a name for himself. He wasn't using the gospel to get money out of people as so many preachers are doing today. He was not after the praise of people. He wasn't even wanting to have a successful ministry. He puts it like this. You know we never used flattery. Nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. We were not looking for the praise from men. Friends, there is a freedom that comes from that kind of approach. There is a freedom when money is not your God. When what you're doing is not because of money or the pressure of money or what you're going to earn or how that's going to affect your income. There's a freedom in that. There's a freedom when you're not looking for the praise of people and the accolades of people. There's a freedom to be the person God wants you to be instead of trying to be like somebody else. Whenever we've got too much to lose, it will hold us back. doesn't matter who you are. Paul was writing to the Galatian church. And remember, he was challenging them quite strongly because they started to buy into some other teaching. And he writes to them in chapter 1, Am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would never or not be a servant of Christ. Another reason that Paul goes to preach the gospel in Thessalonica, is that he really had a love for people. Listen to this. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. As well. I want to ask you a question. How did a hardcore guy like Paul become a person who was willing to lay down his comforts and lay down his life for men and women he did not even know. Have you ever thought about that? I'll tell you how. God changed him. God changed him. It's what he says. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. When people are saved, when people come to faith in Jesus, when the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives, they change. In fact, they become, in many cases, unrecognizable. That's why Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Paul goes to Thessalonica because the love God has given him for people has changed him. And after he has preached to them, 
they begin to have that same love as well. That's what he's talking about. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with a joy given by the Spirit. What had happened in his life began to happen in their lives. May I say this morning, if God can change Paul, he can change anybody. Paul went to Thessalonica even when there was opposition and persecution because he knew he was absolutely confident in what the preaching of God's word could do. You accepted it not as the word of men, but the word of God which is at work in you who believed. Paul's preaching did not simply inspire people, it changed them. Can I say that again? Paul's preaching did not just inspire people. It changed them. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And in our culture today of social media and all the social media platforms we have, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, we must not forget what God can do when His Word is preached. We must not forget what happens when the Holy Spirit is at work in somebody's life and how the power of God can impact a person. Do you know that's why people turn to Jesus? That's why people are saved That's why people worship God. That's why people are willing to change the way they have because God has done something in their lives. Anybody can be religious here. Anybody can go to church. And anybody can be a nice person. But only God can save somebody from their sin. Only the Holy Spirit can transform somebody's life. Only God's power can really set them And while Thessalonica might have been the last place you would expect anything to happen, something quite unusual happens while Paul is there. Gentiles are getting saved within weeks of his preaching. Let me tell you this. Paul ministered for three weeks and people were getting saved. Three weeks. A great number of Gentiles. People kept turning to Jesus even though they knew they were going to get persecuted. That's unusual. Somebody turns to Jesus in our culture, well, it's cool. It's very nice. But it was costing people. Idol worship was abandoned because people were getting saved. Isn't that beautiful? What God was doing began to spread because people were talking about what God was doing in the church in Thessalonica. Paul kept doing what God had called him to do because he believed God would continue to do what he had done over and over and over again through his ministry. What God has done in the past, my friends, can happen again. God can change this city 
God can start the movement that we've been praying for and waiting for and trusting God for, for years. A man by the name of John Wesley, many of you have heard of him, describes his encounter with God. It happened on the 24th of May, 1738. That's a long time ago. In a meeting in a place called Aldersgate. Let me read it to you. He says in his own words, in the evening, I unwillingly went to the society. That means I went to church against what I thought was better. I went to the society in Aldersgate Street, where one, and he doesn't even name the person, was reading Luther's preface to Romans. That's the introduction to Romans from Luther. He says it about quarter before nine. While he described the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. An assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And I began to pray with all my might for those who had in a, in a more especial manner despitefully used me and persecuted me. And then I testified openly to all there what I now felt in my heart. You know the Holy Spirit's at work when God moves in your heart through an introduction to Romans. And I, I finished with this illustration for a reason this morning. It's not a clever sermon. That's going to change anybody's life. It's not a person who can articulate magnificently what God has done. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to change you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to inspire us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to get us off our seats and change us as people. We need a move of God again, and I'm asking for God to move again. We need a revival in South Africa. We're in a terrible state. We're in a sick state. But I love the fact that when God moves, he changes that. This man, John Wesley, after God set him on fire, he got so empowered and so, what's the right word? I can't even think of it. He was so passionate for God. He wanted to preach everywhere. He got so Passionate in his preaching, the churches said, you're not allowed to come and preach in our churches. I'll tell you why. Because the pastors didn't want Wesley to show them up with their bland sermons when he was on fire for God. And he went out into the fields, the, the, the story tells us, his biography, and he preached to thousands of people and they got saved. And a country that was on the brink of an industrial revolution like it just happened in France was turned around through a man passionate for Jesus. Do you know that Sunday school was the means of teaching illiterate children? It wasn't what we have it today. These were children who were working in factories. And he said, we've got to take the kids and we've got to teach them to read and write. And they did it and they started by doing it through Sunday school. They taught people how to use their money, how to bank their money. 
because the Holy Spirit was at work. That's where it all came from. Now I dare say to you, that nation was changed because of a move of God. And read some of these great heroes. I'm busy reading their stories all over again. Crime rates decreased. Guys in the pubs who were pub owners who are getting saved in church and they're opening their pubs for prayer meetings instead of booze sessions. I mean, you must know that's true salvation in the work of God when that happens. Imagine if the pubs around this area said, we're opening up for a prayer meeting, come and pray. But isn't that what we need? Isn't that what we can need? God can do it again. God can do it again. So, the two of our ladies that had come to me and they just had something in their heart relating to this and I felt it would be more appropriate just for them to share what God had put on their hearts for now and then Janet. Where is Janet? Here you are. So can we just sing that song through once more? Come Holy Spirit. And can we just focus and say, Lord, this morning, we want more. We want more before we have and share communion together. Okay, we're those two ladies that we're going to share. Philip and Elmerie. There was a mic here somewhere. You can go first, Philip. If we can all just close our eyes and just think of those words, and that's where the Holy Spirit moved me. Come, Holy Spirit, flow within us. And when we were singing that, I had such a vivid picture of people around the room, and they had a big cork stopper within their spirit. And I believe that God would say that uh, there's, there's a couple of categories there. There are those people that are weary of his spirit, that have placed the stopper there themselves, and they're not opening up. Then there, there are those that receive and get filled up every Sunday that they come and sing and worship and receive. And they put the cork there because they want to hold on. His spirit is precious. And the third group are those that they get filled up, they have the stopper there, but then they remove it. They go out into the world where there is a need. They pull the stopper out at certain times And at this time, with worship and the service or the sermon that we've just had, it's just a confirmation of of all these words to refocus on God, on Christ, on His Spirit that He left for all of us 
and to keep your eyes fixed on him and pray and say, Lord, what is it? What is that stopper? Identify it within me. And when I saw that picture, I too was convicted of putting myself first, of, of looking inward and not looking outward to him, my maker, my creator, my everything. So I pray that if you are in any of those categories, that you will allow his spirit to remove that stopper to allow him to fill you up, but to not put the stopper back so that you can give out and be used in this world to make a difference. I thank you, Lord. Amen. We preached that Sunday just after the riotings and the marches of, of uh, women against uh, abuse. Uh, but that Sunday, uh, God gave me a picture in the church, and I didn't brought it. God reminded me of that picture today. And I see this world, a whole world is like a ball and it's hanging, but it's like, and over this world is a dark cloud. Uh, and God told, showed me this, this, and it's heavy, it's a heavy cloud of darkness. And God says that we are in this time that there is this cloud of darkness around the whole world. And underneath that cloud, everywhere I saw little lights. And God says, this is my church. But my church needs to stand for boldness and strength. We cannot do it on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in his truth. Once again, not in my, I, we don't have power. We cannot withstand what's coming. And we cannot withstand anything in our own power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit alone can come and set us free so that we can stand up for the truth of God and for his word. So I just want to pray. Can I pray, John? So Holy Spirit, I just want to pray. I want to invite you in our hearts and in our soul and into our mind. I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, just come and make us bold and give us that we will stand in truth. We don't have a spirit of fear we have a spirit of power and the spirit of truth and the truth will set us free thank you lord in jesus name amen